like anybody that has gender dysphoria should have a really solid like content warning for this one. It's um, yeah, it's real big. <laughs> it's it's a real yeah, big warning. Because yeah. I really didn't do any research before this and I just ended up like being uh, a little bit flattened by it. Um, Same. Extreme aggravated it- sexual assault, rape, gender dysphoria. Everything is non-consensual. Forced, you know, medical torture. Medical abuse. Yeah. Uh, manipulation, psychological manipulating, gaslighting, the, the whole gamut. The whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And specifically, like, the sex scenes are very, very graphic. Aggro. Is, yes. In their yes. intensity. Yeah. 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 Nothing. Yeah. Like you said, Amanda, there's nothing, like, consensual going on. Yeah, it feels like a true, like, what if you went into the most guttural, visceral version of a man versus nature sort of story where man is forcing, bludgeoning this type of frail femininity that doesn't exist and trying to create it in people that it didn't exist in and destroying them. So yeah, there's just a, there's a lot about misogyny that's so like baked in. It's like misogyny, trans misogyny. Gosh, I don't even know. There are moments where I'm like, what, why do we spend so much time in this wedding with that singer? You know, how come she's the (laughs) only woman who gets to sing of pain and sorrow and it's in the lyrics of a song and she's the only black person in the movie and it's the only real performance by anyone who speaks who's black. And so it's just like that in that context of like Spanish film, there's weirdness there for me. Oh, boy. Let's talk. Let's get this movie talk over. Yes. (laughs) Good evening. And welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight we're talking about the skin I live in, and this movie contains substantial amounts of rape, Forced surgery, kidnapping, torture, gender dysphoria, and and any and everything you could possibly be warned about. There's not going to be any jump scares in this, but it might give you nightmares. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. Ben's got the night off tonight, so let me start by introducing the cinnamon roll of cenobites. My co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I have two words. Oofa doofa. I will be elaborating. That's, that's definitely the place to start. And our guest tonight, the editor of Knee Deep and Orcs in Space and podcaster, Amanda Meadows. Amanda, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be progressively horrified with you about how progressively horrifying all the gender violence in this movie is. Yeah, we started you off with a real like softball one, just sort of right across yeah, the plate. Not me too in. much to talk about. Yeah, not too much. Yeah, I I mean, my first movie with the podcast was The Duke, So, you know, I understand. Into the deep end. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm just really glad that I, I can talk to you all about it because otherwise I would just be still staring at the wall. Mm-hmm. This is, I think, most like the time we had tea on and just happened to watch a French movie about having sex with cars. And 
almost that movie that, that movie was film. whimsical compared to this film whimsical it's still horrible uh just... yeah 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 wait is that the third you're talking about the third cars movie <laughs> is that what we're talking about because that that scared the shit out of me <laughs> alas no like i mean i don't know if i would have preferred to watch the third cars movie but we're talking about titan which is a movie about a woman who has a car fetish and she like fucks a car Does get and impregnated a- by a car yeah. gives birth okay. to a, a, a metal baby there's also oh, a shit. lot of like murder and she also decides to try to change her identity so she changes her face by breaking it on the sink by smashing her head and so into it several yeah. times it's it's a rough film this one is also rough, though. Ooh, that is wild. I'm trying to imagine what the insemination process is like. I like indescribable. But, I can tell. indescribable. Yeah, I just I'm imagining just like or popping out cool diecast model of a 1996 Dodge Viper. Yeah, something. well, I'm gonna go ahead and spoil the movie for everybody right now. Since I'd rather, I honestly rather talk about Titan than the skin I live in, because at least it has the fantasy element of having a baby. Right. Yeah, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm entertained by this. <laughs> Talking yeah, about no. a movie I haven't seen. Well, so like she did not give birth to a Volkswagen Beetle. I really, really wish she did, like a small one. Like it was, a, oh, that'd be fun. It was a baby yeah. with like a weird metal spine, and I was like. Like a Bluetooth spine. So. Yeah, I had like a Bluetooth spine. And I'm thinking like, there's so many opportunities. Like you could have gone full yeah. tattoo of the Iron Man with this, but except yeah. anyway, let's talk about Honestly, it. Like, why not just make the baby cute? It's just, it would be scarier if it was super, like a shockingly cute car baby. That's, that's pretty fun. It's a Transformers think, origin story, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if it was like a tiny bumblebee, like, you yeah. know, or like, even if it was, what the fuck is the name of the car in Cars? It's my top two Lightning McQueen. The little cars. Lightning, Lightning McQueen. If it was a little Lightning Ch-chow. McQueen. Ka-chow. Congratulations. I love it. Okay. So this film that we're actually talking about, The Skin I Live In, is directed by Pedro Almodovar. It is written by Pedro Almodovar and Augustine Almodovar. And I think based on a book by Thierry Jacquet, which is called Tarantula. It is French. And you've combined Spanish filmmaking and, and French literature. And this is this is what you end up with. It stars Antonio Banderas, Elena Naya, Jan Cornette, and returning Marissa Paredes, our favorite horny grandma from Devil's Backbone. That one was a good one. Okay, so I... Would not put trying to recap this on anybody else, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do it. And uh, God help Bless you, you if you're not looking at the screen when this movie starts because it starts moving fast, and uh, you just got to hold on as you go. We're in Toledo in 2012, which this movie came out in 2011, so I guess he said it a year in the future. We're we're at the El Cigarón, which is like a group of country houses outside of Toledo where they have like these big houses and smaller houses where the you know servants live that service these sort of vacation houses we we meet a woman wearing a full body jumpsuit skin suit thing who's working on strange sculptures with bits of cloth and clay only she's only able to receive things via a dumb waiter from the kitchen including 
drinks and food that she's getting that we, we see are being drugged. They're putting medication into it from pills. Uh, she is not allowed to receive things like scissors or needles, and we'll find out why soon. She is looked after by a housekeeper named Barilia, who does not go back and forth to the room, just sends the stuff by the dumbwaiter. And she has a closet full of cut-up clothes that she doesn't wear. She mostly just shreds and uses to make sculptures and things. We then sort of cut away from all this to a plastic surgeon whose name we learn is later on is Robert, who is talking about giving facial replacement surgery to people with traumatic injuries. He's one of the few doctors who's successfully done this. There's a whole sort of shady exchange at a maternal hospital where he gets some blood and he goes back to his private underground lab under his house and, and studies the bag of blood. Then he goes and brings opium to Vera, the woman in the, the suit. She has uh, attempted to kill herself by paper cutting herself to death. She has sliced her wrists and cut up her chest in several places. Uh, he rushes her to his underground operating theater and saves her life. He's happy about this. She does not seem quite so happy about it. And he's really fascinated by how nice and soft her skin is. Boy, it's the beginning of a long trend of things that are going to happen in this movie. He's also running some underground tests on animal blood, which we'll learn is because he is trying to do some uh, transhuman DNA stuff, some real Dr. Zhivago bits to help make tougher skin that does not burn and uh, does not get bit by mosquitoes. He's calling the skin Gal, which he says is the name of his wife who died in a horrible fire. Uh, or it had horrible burns. More on that later. He's told by the, the doctors there that, hey, uh, all this stuff is very illegal and he should not be doing anything where he alters human DNA to make skin using pigs, which is a thing he has to be told. It's a, it's a no-no. We then get to see him sitting in his room and watching Vera in the next room on a camera. Uh, he got some real creepy business going on. He tells Vera that she's she's now complete and he doesn't know what to do with her. She says she wants to live as equals and do stuff and be allowed out of her room. Says that she knows that he watches her and likes her. He's not sure what to do. Morelia is very against it. She has some serious problems with Vera, especially considering that all of the extensive plastic surgery that uh, he has done on Vera uh, has now made her look like Gal, his dead wife, pre all the getting burned. Marilla is in favor of straight up euthanizing this woman, it would appear. She is just wants her gotten rid of. Instead, he decides to send home all the servants. The rest of the servants leave, and this is where, if you'll believe it, things get weird. Because a man dressed as a tiger shows up to the, uh, the gate of this estate. Turns out that he is Marilia's son, Zika. He aggressively pushes his way in Despite her saying she can't have visitors, he is obviously a bad guy from the get-go. He's got some mean-looking facial scars. Turns out he is on the run from the law because he robbed the bank. And also, they don't seem to know this yet, but murdered a employee of the bank who was supposed to turn off the cameras but didn't do so successfully. I want to mention that, that he is dressed as a tiger because of Carnival. I guess. He is using it as an excuse to get in. Yes. And you know, talking about celebrating Carnival with his mother. But also he is on the run from a law. The law who I would imagine is not looking for a tiger man. 
Yes. He no. identifies himself with a birthmark on his butt. So. Yeah, he, had, he identifies himself by mooning his mother over the camera. Zika is awful. He wants Robert to do surgery on his face to make him not look like himself anymore so that he can hide from the cops. Marilia is like, there's no way he's going to do that. As soon as he knocks you out to do that, he would just murder you. And he's like, what if I kidnapped you first and held you hostage? He cares about you so much, Mom. What if I threatened to kill you, my mother? And things just go from bad to worse when he notices uh, the feeds that are live from Vera's room. He's sure that he knows who she is and that she should be dead. But he is going to pursue this further. His mom pulls a gun on him and he wrestles it away and then ties her up and sticks a napkin in her mouth so that she can't scream. He manages to get the key and open the girl's room. She uh, tries to tackle her way out of the room and escape. He holds her down and brutally on-screen rapes her. There's a lot of hints as to like who he thinks she is here. Robert returns mid-rape. Really wants him to kill them both. He just kills Zika. And we get a wild monologue from Marilia as Robert goes off to dispose of Zika's body. Where we learn that Zika and Robert are in fact both Marilia's kids. But Robert's the son of the rich man she worked for. And the family just decided to go ahead and claim him and then give him a good life. Where he's you know been served by the person who's actually his mother his whole life. And he has no idea. Zika in the meantime was raised as her son started transporting drugs as a child and has never had any good life at all. And then he came back 12 years ago and ran away with Robert's wife. They ran off, got in a horrible car crash, and Ziga left her to burn in the car as he escaped. She managed to survive, barely horribly burned. Robert brought her back and, and went through extensive surgery and sat with her and, and tried to help her out. He also got rid of all the mirrors in the house so that she couldn't see what she looked like. Unfortunately, she hears her daughter singing and is inspired to go to the window and look out and sees her reflection in the glass and then dives out of the top floor of the house and commits suicide literally feet from her daughter. Some On top of everything else, that's, that's fucking rough, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so just to just to recap here, we have very, very brutal on-screen rape and uh, the wife dying by suicide after being burned and her daughter has witnessed it. Oh, yeah. And then the tiger guy was murdered, but we don't care about him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm curious. How are you guys feeling at this point in the movie? Because at this point in the movie, it feels like things have gone off the rails and it will later on turn out that you have been safely, securely within the rails at this point. Compared to where it is going. At that point, I really felt like, oh, shit, there's like still half of a movie left and I have no idea where it's going. So I was a little unmoored. And I also still had that like that lingering confusion of, OK, he thinks I'm, it's clear he thinks he, uh, she's Robert's wife, but why isn't she and trying to figure out like what happened and how that skin was used and just oh there's all just there's so many questions at that point and i was not sure that i was gonna get an answer and sure. also i was there just like answers. oh boy the the rapeometer at that point was like already maxing out so yeah yeah part of my whole like information intake had shut down at that point 
Um, <laughs> so I was just like, there was like a, a layer of mist between me and the film. Which <laughs> certainly like my analytical brain was still running crazy. And I was very much like, okay, what, what? Oh, but this movie's like a million years long. So we're, I'm here for the ride. Let's go. You know? Yeah. I mean, and I, I mean, at that point, Robert comes back from having disposed of the body. Marila also throws the just a nugget of information that years later, Robert's daughter followed her mother out the window looking for her mother. And we'll come back to that. Yep. Robert, uh, after returning, takes Vera back inside and uh, they get ready to go fuck. But she is not ready because she has literally been raped at most hours before at this point. Reasonable, I would say. Like the the fact that they got to this point at this point in the story, I was like, "What the fuck is wrong with Robert?" And we're gonna find out. Yeah, because um, Marilia, in her description of her two sons, says they have different fathers, but they're both fucking insane. Yeah, yeah both the, monsters. The housekeeper slash mother slash keeper of all exposition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exposition like keeper. she was, she drops the wildest bombs. Yeah, <laughs> at irregular yeah. points in the movie, and that was that was a wild one. God, she deserved better. So, it's it's funny. Funny is maybe not the word, but as I was watching this last night, I had seen it once already, and I was like including it on this list. And what happens in this next part is the like thing I remembered about the movie because it is so much that I had just forgotten about all the rape in this movie. Because as I was writing this in my notes, I said, and here we go. Six years earlier, mm -hmm. as, as they're lying in bed, uh, we get a, a flashback through Robert. Robert and his daughter are at a wedding six years earlier, uh, and she is out and about for the first time in a long time. She has been in the hospital, we're told. She's actually having a good time. She seems to have a crush on this boy that's there. And, you know, Robert is is talking and chatting at the wedding. And then uh, he noticed that his, his daughter is gone. So he goes looking for her uh, in the teen sex garden where all the teens are having sex. I don't what? know if it's just that I don't have, like, this size of a garden. But I did not have any parties at my house where, like, we had a garden where all the teens just went and had sex within, like, six feet of each other. This is, like... This, the most European part. Yeah. 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 And Robert is like, hmm, I guess. He continues down this path and sees a guy take off in a scooter. He sort of takes note of the scooter. And then he finds Norma's clothes strewn around, finds her, her shoes and her jacket. And he finds Norma lying unconscious in the middle of the garden and wakes her up. She, she awakes and then sees him and starts screaming in absolute terror. And we don't know exactly what's happened yet. Now we're back in the present. We pan over to Vera's face and we start watching another story about a boy uh, who is decorating a, a show window mannequin as two women debate over clothes. One of the women working in there is sort of his friend, lesbian shop attendant, who he won't stop hitting on and trying to convince that she should do drugs just so we'll fuck him or she'll fuck him. The other one is I is his mom. Super and cool. uh, he leaves here to go to that same party. I'm going to stop you real quick. Forgive me. I just need you to know, audience, that if you haven't seen this movie, which, you know, if you have, my heart goes out to you. 
But the mannequin that he's decorating is like a crazy wicker man straw sculpture. Like it is kind of nutty. Yeah. You know, good for them for the creativity points. But he does seem a little bit unhinged at first because of this weird straw effigy that he is decorating. And like he keeps like groping its breast. And, and yeah, immediately after he's like, hey, I know I'm I'm pissed off that you're not into me. Can you like just take this pill so you fuck me? And Christine, who is the shop attendant, is just like, Ugh. So and then he goes to this party with a wedding and his mom is there. Yeah, he's at the same party. He is the cute boy that Norma left with. His name is Vincente. And Vincente is quickly stoned out of his mind. He is doing drugs, popping pills that we do not know what they are. And he's chatting with, with Norma going out towards the sex garden. And he makes reference to all the drugs that he is on and asks her what drugs she's on. And she lists a series of antidepressants and antipsychotics, which he does not pick up on that she is not doing drugs to be high she is doing drugs to like level out stuff yeah. that's going on with her yeah exactly and then there's sort of this weird rationalization thing that he does it's like we should be together because see we're both weird we're both not quite right in the head and it was it, it was so weird i mean his it's logic i know he was high but his logic was paper it wasn't even paper thin it was like micro like a fucking circular protein whatever that is <laughs> yes. about as thin as a dna strand yeah and it, it is a an awkward series of things that happen here because it's like he's definitely at fault but also he is not aware of a lot of shit that's going on at this point and is a teenage or 20 teen or 20 something kid it's hard to i think 20 something is stoned out of his mind um she is excited by this prospect, takes off her shoes and jacket and throws them down. She did all that herself. And they start making out. And the making out very quickly turns into like awkward groping too much. She's clearly uncomfortable, but not saying anything. And then escalates immediately to screaming as he is trying to go further with what at this point is, is very clearly in the like territory of rape. Yeah. He, at that, yeah, at that point, he is assaulting her. Yeah. yeah. And he she covers starts, her mouth when she starts screaming. And, yeah. then he, and then she bites his hand, and then he slaps her hard enough to knock her unconscious, cleans her up a little bit, puts her dress back on, and gets on his scooter and rides off, which is when Robert sees him ride off and finds his, his daughter there. And... A few a few days later, he's back to life working at the women's clothing store and does not realize that Robert is stalking him. Robert runs him off the road and shoots him with a tranquilizer and kidnaps him and disposes of his, his vehicle. Vincente wakes up chained up in a cave. His mom goes to the police who were like, yeah, we found his scooter off of a sea cliff, but no body, which means he probably washed out to sea. And we've interviewed a lot of people and all of them were like, he was talking about how much he wanted to get the hell out of here. So probably mm -hmm. he's either dead or gone and nothing nefarious has happened here. She is understandably not convinced. Robert goes to visit Norma in the hospital and we get a truly difficult scene of as soon as she sees him, he, she completely starts 
dissociating and hides in the closet. The doctor is clear with Robert that like, because sort of like when he woke her up and, and shook her awake, she has associated him with the rape and it doesn't matter what anybody tells her about what happened. And shortly thereafter, uh, she commits suicide. She jumps out the window of the hospital, which uh, Robert is simply not happy with. He is on the verge of, of murdering the doctor himself. But he decides to take that aggression elsewhere. He goes down to the cave where he is locked up Vincente under his hospital. I don't know how many layers of stuff under his house there are. He shaves Vincente's head and knocks him out and gets his uh, crack private operating squad together to come do underground surgery. When Vincente awakes, he discovers that they have given him a vaginoplasty. And then Robert puts him through several more surgeries, slowly turning him into Vera. He tries to escape uh, several times, tries to kill himself. Robert stops him and, and brings him back at every turn is, is going through this whole process that we've seen part of, of him like replacing skin and doing grafts and giving the Vera breasts and, and fondling. And the one sort of respite she finds is yoga and also writing things on the walls. This is where he brings in Marilia to watch over Vera. And we're back at the present where he is trying to sleep with the woman he has Frankenstein from a young man into this woman. She is now sort of living with them as if they're family. Marilia understandably does not trust her, but also, she's uh, I don't know, at one point has to go back to her old room to retrieve food for him from the dumbwaiter and uh, sees all the things that remind her of her time there. Apparently, they've made a promise Robert has promised Vera that she is free to go wherever she wanted and, and do as she wants as long as she promises not to leave him. Marilia is not okay with any of this. <laughs> um, you know. She shouldn't be. Yeah. She's maybe more upset about the parts that she should be less upset about than stuff that she should be really upset about, but priorities. His, his underground surgery team is uh, taking this new lack of underground surgery personally. And wants to blackmail him with what they know about Vincente's disappearance, which is when Vera shows up and, and backs Robert up, says everything that was done to her was because she wanted it done and she's always been a woman inside. They they go to have sex and uh, she can't find the lube. She's apparently left it down in a bag downstairs. Goes down to grab that in her purse and just happens to grab the gun while she's there. Sees the, the picture of Vincente missing in the uh, newspaper kisses Vincente's picture. She goes upstairs and uh, shoots Robert and Marilia comes looking to to see what's happened and she shoots Marilia too. She uh, then I guess walks out and grabs a cab, goes back to her mom's store, reintroduces herself to to Christine and it, it ends with Vera telling the mom that she's Vincente like literally to dark. Yeah, it's like yes. Yes. This tear jerking reunite, like they're all reunited and they're it's very emotional. And then it's like the end. Um, I literally thought it was a mistake. I thought I sat on the remote. I actually went back <laughs> twice. Like I watched earlier this afternoon too. It's very fresh. I was like, this that ain't the end. You don't end on that. There's so much yeah. more to talk about. What the yeah. fuck? Like, uh, I so really want the other half hour of horror. <laughs> 
Yeah, like as Maria, she deserved better. I wanted her to get up. I mean, I really wanted her to shoot Vera. Like, if Maria has to die, then everyone should die because Maria is the only innocent person in this whole situation. Like, she's doing the best with what she got, and she's like trying to fight against this and like it's just horrible horrible situation with the best that she has at the same time though it's super confusing about the sort of inside out power dynamic of you know your your mother never telling you that they're your mother and always being their housekeeper and so there is this weird status thing where it's very clear that she's invested in maintaining this sort of masculine innocence in these sons, yeah. especially the legitimate one who's a doctor. And she enables a lot of his worst impulses leading up to that. You know, she really just wanted to hide it, which, you know, is pretty common uh, yeah. when, you know, when that stuff happens. But because she was never his legitimate mother. It feels extra complex and gross. <laughs> yeah, because well, I, mean, I, I was looking at it from this perspective of her being abused throughout her life and taken for granted and things like that. And and yeah, I mean, it's, to be extreme, you could call it a kind of Stockholm syndrome. But I, I think that's a little bit reductive compared to like some of the relationships that caregivers develop with kids that they've helped you know even if mm-hmm. she wasn't his, his actual mom or or his like or she wasn't she wasn't in his life as his mother even though she was his bio mother exactly know, so she's like trying to mother in the way that is accessible yeah it's it's and that's what makes it just so like oh boy like you said it's She's kind of the only one you hope gets a little bit of something at the yeah. end, <laughs> a little bit of peace. But no, um, she dies defending her son who's already dead, which sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, also, like, she she was fully about to kill her other son, her, like, tiger son. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, I think she would have killed Antonio Banderas just as readily. But, you know she yeah things shook out (laughs) differently you know and and she knew that the situation was fucked so i don't know i do think again she is not completely like i said she's innocent but you know that's a comparison the most she says about things being fucked is that like if she had been here at the time she would not have been okay with the fact that this man gave this person that he has created his wife's face like i mean yeah that's that's one that's one of many one of many issues here yeah (laughs) yeah exactly but she's also dealing with her place as like a servant you know and she is explicitly called a servant Mm -hmm. Um, you know she does have a little bit of authority in that she is the head of the servant staff a and b she's an older woman that he knows but he he doesn't know that she's his mother and i don't think we, he ever finds out he is, he is yeah i don't think so either her previously she has been gone for several years yeah because he i guess didn't need a housekeeper when he wasn't keeping somebody hostage in his <laughs> yeah so he calls her back and calls a, a bunch of other people back in to help him out when he has a hostage which like 
it's not subtle. Like, they all know what's going on because he's got huge-ass LCD screens of her ass all over the fucking house so he can watch her and, like, you know, the zoom in on her skin and everything. They don't know what's going on. They know it's not okay. Yeah, yeah. They do not know the extent of the surgery and everything that he has done here. They just know that he has, like, essentially a pet captive woman who he's constantly medicating and, like, smoking opium with. And that's, that is what is known of, as far as known knowns and your known unknowns. Yeah. (laughs) Your unknown unknowns. Do not know that she, she came in as a, as a man. Boy, it is it is difficult to talk about gender when talking about this character as well because it's like very um, much. Yeah, she is she is introduced to the audience as as Vera, and we sort of see the process of how we got there. Yeah, She's, it's so perverse. You know, we're introduced in this false way, and and you you can feel this tension under the surface, but you don't realize how forced it is until you get further in and. That that shit's agonizing. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a sense of of rising disgust. That, yes, that continues, and it's a lot of it has to do with the way that gender is weaponized. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's really really rough because it, this is basically weaponizing gender dysphoria and body dysmorphia. Like this is yep the main form of torture here. This isn't like. The kind of this isn't like saw we're not giving people with their mouths laid open or you know like there have been explicitly sexual torture scenes in a lot of movies this is very meticulous it's so attentive and antonio banderas's character his he's mostly kind of deadpan throughout it yeah there's like a focused he has this focused look in his eye but he's also so stoic he doesn't show any real emotion other than sort of like this consumptive desire when he's trying to force a woman to do something that she doesn't want to do whether it's recognize him as his as her father and come to or you know be my wife again (laughs) let's go back in time yeah and so there's he's like putting all doing all this fucked up shit but it's all with this like this stoic demeanor which is more unsettling to me, you know, yeah, when it's I, like a crazy dude in a mask going like, blah, 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 blah. you know, it's it's a, a different beast. And yeah, apparently, like Pedro Almodovar told him early on in, in the in the thing that like after the first couple of days of working with, with Antonio Banderas on here that like he needed to get rid of all of his actors, tics and quirks like he, he, he wanted this character to be fiercely deadpan and and driven and serious rather than any sort of you know he didn't want him to read i guess as a a soap opera villain because Mm -hmm. i will say for as like well made as this movie is as like well done as the the acting and directing and it is that it it has some downright soap operatic like twists and then moments in it i I think a lot of pedro madavar's stuff does um, yeah, it's like it's like uh, a very a, a type of misogyny camp that he does very well. And this is a very a lot of this stuff, you know, just tipped in a, just slightly askew could have gone extra big and silly. But 
it's good that on Antonio Bender is kind of honed in on just like this blank stare, this like emotionless gaze. It makes you wonder how anesthetized by opium he is when he makes, when he's working versus when he's not working. There's this sort of blurring of lines of like who is in reality and who is in delusion. And it only gets crazier as, <laughs> as it goes on. You, you realize how much he has convinced himself to believe. Yeah. I mean, he becomes fully a victim of his own delusion at the end, which is what causes him to lose control of the situation and, you know, trust his victim, which. Yeah, he bought his own fantasy for a second. Yeah. And which there's so many levels to that. And like he's in in one level, he is using Vicente as a guinea pig. And there's the medical torture element there. Then he is sort of reversing the roles in a way where he's like okay now you're you know you treated women as an object now you're an object that i get to 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 manipulate and you mm-hmm. now have to feel what that is and then it goes completely out of control it's like okay well now not only are you are you a woman out of control of her own body but you're also still a guinea pig and i'm gonna make your skin so powerful that you can't kill yourself you know like i i'm trying to make your skin um, I'm taking this to the next level and I'm yeah, continuing he- to, to to experiment on you as sort of like a a method of dissociating himself from the fact that he used his wife's face, you know? And- yeah, he's just externalizing all of it onto yeah. this this surgical object. And that's, you know, it gets real Frankenstein's monster in some in some parts. I mean, down to like when you see you know, what we are told is Vera just about to enter the body stocking and it's like, and you could see the seams and, and and there's just like, you know, it it calls up, you know, all of the movies, it calls up like Metropolis, it calls up all of the stuff that, that is like cinematic history, but also like gender history, which yeah. that's kind of cool, <laughs> you know, but I'm also just so fucking horrified that I can't yeah, appreciate and- that. <laughs> I, I, I mean, just, I, I had to explain to you guys that I, I had a breakdown in the middle of Amanda Duck there because yeah, I, I was hoping I'm you're looking okay at my, there. I'm looking at the IMDB page for, for the skin I live in. And yes. scrolling halfway down, I hit the mid-page ad, and it's for KY Jelly. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, Welcome to your oh. new laptop, Jeremy. The machines, they are learning. And yeah, what sure. they are learning is great, indeed. <laughs> uh-huh. We all go, oh, my dude. My God. Rested pieces. Oof. Yeah, heard you need to lube up your, <laughs> your test subject. Oh, <laughs> The and like the detail about dilation, which was like also set as a, a like the way that they they depicted it was this like horror scenario when yeah it was kind of like like a, I guess in all those are equivalent to you know a prison sex joke or something where it's just very clear like haha got you now you are the one being penetrated and that sort of like one dimensional gender disgust that that comes from this like 
toxic masculine ideal. And, yeah. and, you know, it, it also, it's just, you know, bringing up content warning again for the intense trans misogyny and medical torture of it all. But like, you know, giving him, uh, giving Vicente a vaginoplasty and also being the doctor who is like molding and shaping it and the way that the dilator almost feels like it was maybe to his specifications because I've seen medical dilators for real people who are yes. going through that dilation process and they don't look like that. No. Um, no. They, you know, they were a little too pointy. They were too long from the beginning. Like they should be large. There was just a lot there that was like, oh yeah, very much like horror punishment yeah, coded. Yeah. They yeah, were I, essentially I for, dildos. Like that's what he was, you know, they yeah. were supposed to be phallic, you know, because they like they had a head and everything. And, and I'm like, yeah. They, yeah. Not, it's, that's not what real dilators are do. Yeah. Uh, it's and, like and he made a mold he, of his own ding dong and was just like, you I'm I'm building you to my specifications. Yeah. The way he is presenting things that he intends as torture as medical aid and like in that section in yeah. particular that he is he is doing it in such a way that he is not like yeah here i'm gonna we're gonna fuck you up this is gonna be terrible it's like here's what you need to get used to here's you know how here here's some notes on the you know treatment and, and care of your vagina basically which does you know parallel the way cis women are talked to by doctors in yeah, a lot yes. of ways and you know we still have like majority male gynecologists and obstetricians i think in the world so that you know that really like i felt the echoes of that like i've been told by a male doctor certain things that are normal about certain birth control that certainly weren't you know what i mean and yeah. you know being led down the wrong path and actually being harmed by their medical advice because they uh, made a wild assumption that was not based in women's bodies but what they think women's bodies should be able to withstand in order to please them and this, so that you know that that you know made it extra pointy it, yeah, <laughs> the, so the dilators were very pointy yeah, yeah it was it was a little evocative of the the vibrator that was utilized by early doctors to treat quote unquote hysteria yes uh, which is, is like you know, I don't know if that was, I assume that was on purpose. And There's a lot know, there of willful there misunderstanding, a lot of willful ignorance, a lot of kayfabe, I think, and a lot of the ways that we, like, made up those medical terms. It's like a lot of folks knew oh, what yeah. they were doing when they were doing it, but we all had to call it this, which, oh boy, very funny. Yeah, it, is, it is also, oh, I was just going to say, his demeanor is very like Joseph Mangala kind of like mm -hmm. sort of detached interest in his subject who is a human being. Yes. Yeah. That detached sort of contemptuous surveillance, obsessive kind of gaze on a, a, a female body. Yeah. And it, it is very eugenics, like just OG eugenics. Yeah. yeah. I'm 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 curious where you guys land on this. Obviously, this is this movie's 12 years old. This has been a very long 12 years as far as how far the trans movement has has come, like uh, people's understanding of 
of all of that. And I, you know, based on a book that's even older, how do we like, where do we land? I think that was my biggest problem coming out of watching this movie the first time is I was like, I have no idea how to like handle this movie, like in the way it relates to trans people in the world. You know, this this movie in which, you know, forcibly changing somebody's sex is is like projected as this, you know, torture and revenge and this and how any of that relates to the real world and then people dealing with with, you know, these sorts of, of surgeries and things in their real lives. Yeah. The 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 questions about bodily autonomy in a patriarchy are really interesting, but they're half asked and half and half yeah. answered. But like, which is like kind of part for the course for the time for that for 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 this director for Spanish film <laughs> and and also yeah like in twenty twelve gosh like people were playing single ladies at their weddings and <laughs> having gender reveal parties and you know yeah. um, if people weren't really thinking about trans folks in the way that they were. Three years ago, certainly not the way they are now, where everyone's talking about it, but it's in this much crazier, heightened circumstance. I I think I'm trying to not focus on the trans misogyny as much and try to think about like what he's saying about when like women and femininity and the type of femininity that these men are craving. And I think that's what so much of what's happening is the the projection of we know how much we extract and abuse women what what but what if we could keep them soft and supple and they could still feel good while we do harm to them they won't show it you know what if we can make a woman that doesn't show the scars of what our behavior and their relationships to us do to them. What if I didn't have to see the results of my actions in, in relation to women and yeah, like just that breeded in with just, it, it just all of the non-consensual sexual activity and assault and just sort of idle threats and the way women are shut down and locked away and controlled for their own good and that being the ultimate punishment to this man who just happened to hurt the wrong girl is to then become to become a person who, you know, the, sort of symbolizes the most trauma, the most feminine yeah. trauma in his life. And, and definitely you know said what as that the says of a daughter before. Right. Like, oh, definitely. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, okay, so in that sense, we have this statement here that is that the worst thing you could do to somebody to torture them is make them a woman. And, you know, essentially the worst thing you could do to a man is, you know, to torture him for sexual assault is make him a woman. Now, when we when we really like look at that, there's some elements there that I think you know, there may have been, and if I would be a little bit more on board with this, if I knew if I was more confident that this was intended, but there is a little right. bit there of like the, the, how the turned up tables where the, you know, you have the, this the outcome of this be like, okay, so you get to see how your behavior affects somebody because now it is you who is being treated this way. 
And there's a, there is some meaning to that. There, there is something to be taken away from that in terms of a like feminist message. It's not strong enough in this movie for me to really like take that home. But I do feel like in that horror and in the, the just visceral disgust that I felt about a lot of what was going on in this movie and how it was depicted, mm -hmm. um, you know, I do think that there are, you know, maybe accidentally we are landing on how fucking horrible it feels to have your your gender decided for you. And that is something that a lot of trans people mm -hmm. relate to. And, mm. you know, I think, is it necessary for a trans person to go through it to watch this movie? No. Please, no. Like, yeah, like, this is something, like, you know, you, you know, like, you, it's, it's like, if, you know, I have PTSD about a car crash, and then I watch Crash. You know? <laughs> right. Like, I don't have to experience how horrible that is, you know? I'm not I'm not in like giving myself any extra anything extra with that. Other yeah. Than trying to, you know, th there's a lot of complex things going on with with trauma, of course, you know, of course. But the level of body horror here is just not it's existential. It's like to yeah. the to the core of who someone is and how that's just not compatible with the way, you know, if you've got powerful enough men around you, they're they're going to do what they want and they're going to try to control what the result of that looks like. And that that manipulation is just so disgusting. <laughs> this, is a, this is a real like magic eye picture of a movie, which like depending yeah. on the angle you're looking at it, like you, you can be looking at it one second and be like, this is actually incredibly feminist. And then you look at it from a slightly different angle and you're like, actually not at all. And yeah, then, I think this is like just neg it's negative feminism. It's just so it's so it's like, aggro in its toxic masculinity, it's but like it's much, all dressed in art. And how much you of know, that is Amadovar's like intention? Like, right? It's it's you know, unclear. Does he does he realize how awful Robert is? Like, does he realize all of this stuff? Is you know, it's like if you look at this movie as a, a Frankenstein story rather than a Count of Monte Cristo, it's a completely <laughs> different movie. Yeah. Looking at the same events and the same, you know, stuff that's on the screen. It's just a just a question of like the you know, the the lens through which you're looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. I was I I would argue that there is uh, there i feel like there is some intention to depicting how horrible this is that that how awful robert is how awful pretty much everybody is except you know maria is is leaps and bounds less awful than everyone else you know she's she's you know the she has very little power so yeah. it's yeah there's not yeah. a lot of harm she can do and even vera you know, and Vicente knows that, but you know, ultimately had to kill kill her anyway to protect, you know, their ability to leave and go home and actually yeah. reunite with his family. Yeah, it's it's just so so steep in it's just so steeped in like entitlement. Like mm -hmm. there is sort of the like a presumptive entitlement to women's labor that's already kind of baked into the way that 
the settings are. And, you know, when early on, when he's talking to the other medical dude and he's like, listen, I think all the time about the implications and what wonderful things you we could do with this with this shit, this evil shit you're cooking up, but you still can't do it. And so like even the people who are who don't want him to do it are like, yeah, we all like we all secretly desire this. We would love to do this, but we just can't. And, you know, it kind of reminded me of just, you know, when when some asshole in a in a building says, oh, you can't say anything these days. There was a bit of like, you know, like communal lament around like, oh, yeah, we can't pursue this. But how cool would it be? Yeah. Well, I feel like that that was intentionally or intentionally deplorable. Like, I feel like there was was an intentional depiction of that being deplorable behavior. And I think the fact that the the thing that I'm going to point to that helps me kind of recognize the intention of the horror is the fact that all of there's very little gore in this movie. Mm -hmm. There's very little body, like the body horror is not depicted through the same way that like Cronenberg would be doing body horror with like, you know, like prosthetics and stuff like that. The body horror is, and even like the burn victim, there was nothing over the top about her, her burn scars. It's very thinly veiled. A lot of implied off camera yeah. violence yeah and well, like is... i appreciate how it's not as gratuitous yeah well, but it's the... still like ooh, that what, what what does that choice mean i mean it was but the, there was violence all of the violence was depicted as sex mm-hmm. all sexual violence and it was the way that vera and uh norma acted in those scenes that really communicated to me because there was something very, very relatable for me about their sort of like, I, you know, they're they, they either they were just like, I'm going to wait for this to be over or yeah, what's going on because I'm, you know, you're I'm, held hostage essentially. Yeah. 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 And then also like that, the look, especially during the tiger guy scene, like rape scene, Oof. her her look of just dissociation like she was not and th- there were so many like aggressive like breast grabbing and stuff like that and the way that like each of those things felt so it w- did not feel sexy you know no, not at sex. all there was so much sex in the movie but all of it felt like there was something bad going down like this was not none of it was good to look at none of it felt for me depleting just seedy you know um, everything just yeah and you there's this sort of endlessness to it you're just like why is this guy's just hammering away you know it's there's it's punishing to watch yeah and so i think in that case we have a little bit of understanding of what that what what that is like for an assault victim you know yeah we're, we're with the assault victims here now you know if there's a lot of decisions that would have made this a lot better uh yeah. you know a little less i don't know sympathy for vicente you know because vicente was a piece of shit yeah like, we don't get-go. really get to know what we're saving you know what yeah. what what was redeemable about vicente before how how we know him other than what the doctor did to him 
there's just sort of this feeling of like, what is morality at all? (laughs) And, you know, there's, there is a little bit of a, a, I mean, there could be sort of a projection of him being like, well, he was this, just this, just little guy. He's just a little guy. And he liked to make weird mannequins, but he, he was always seedy. Like he was trying to force his lesbian coworker to have sex with him Mm -hmm. to the extent of trying to drug her. Mm-hmm. basically rape her and he's like yeah well, yeah basically telling her that it's like well if you won't have if you don't want me then you know why don't i just rape you you know yeah there's a lot of like you know a mixture of this person is fucked up on whatever substances but also there's some undiagnosed medical like mental health issue going on with Vicente that we don't get to know or understand so yeah we don't we don't know who or why yeah (laughs) it's worth like you know having that moment for him at the end like what did what did it mean yeah like for me you know the rape by itself was like okay you know torture this guy this is this is a this is a a step beyond you know like the 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 this extent of medical torture I do not enjoy this at all like the you know Mm-hmm. but you know thinking about like i i'm very familiar with thinking about like okay what's the most horrible thing that can happen to a rapist and let's let's explore that with our imaginations <laughs> and you know which is you know i think is part of coping but that's not what restorative justice looks like obviously no, and and, no. and like most survivors you know as like as, as a survivor myself it's just yeah, yeah. there's so much work that's done in healing yourself and and remembering that the boundaries and the the forgiveness and all of that are really for you and you know none of that involves the the assailant you know and And yeah the the sort of obsession with revenge is just you know is coming from the cishet male imagination yeah and like this this vera becomes an unre- like almost like a magical unresistible sex object yes like not even of her own ability like she's not she you know she does choose with robert she does choose to like weaponize the intimacy to gain his trust yes which is you know like it's a survival tactic it's an extreme situation but with the tiger guy like he sees her on a on a shitty little screen and starts licking it like he's under some sort of spell and she isn't doing anything she's not doing anything to do that he's just a you know i mean he's a piece of shit yes he's a piece of shit and a part but the the fact that like robert seems to have made this like magical unresistible woman and then fucks her himself Yes. The initial intention, as far as I could tell, was to, like, punish this guy for being a rapist. And then, you know, and then, like, but then he doesn't rape the guy. He waits until he he doesn't even, like, he wants it to be consensual, but there's consent is completely out the window at this point anyway. Like, this- Right. He's trying to manufacture the conditions and yeah, it's-, it's never working. And so, yeah, I mean, the only way that like Vicente is able to get out is by leaning in and, and, you know, acting like, you know, oh, if I protect him, then he'll think, oh, I finally flipped. And, you know, and, and, and you could see how they, they like Vicente also wanted 
that to be the case with the tiger man. There was like, it was like, let's go to the garden, you know? And so there was this moment of like, okay, I'm going to withstand some amount of violence until I can get to a place where I can run. And yeah. like, and that's like, what, what more the feminine urge, <laughs> the yeah. feminine urge to uh, calculate exactly how many pain units you can withstand just in enough time to slip out the door and bolt into the night, which so many women have done. And well, it's, it's, yeah, it's real, it's real fucked. Yeah. And, and in a way, I mean, the, the, during this conversation, I see how like there's a really important kernel of truth to the, the complexity of surviving sexual assault and determining like the, the, this socially accepted quote unquote definition of rape. You know, when you are in a situation that is desperate or that is involves so much abuse, you know, exactly. Um, and when it's been so normalized and sort of like sort of brought in to sort of this institutional idea, like whether it's marriage in a house with servants removed <laughs> from where people can see or the structure and, you know, sort of legal ways of like medical science and and the ways that medical science can cleverly kind of strip you of your autonomy by, you know, just by classifications and stuff. Yeah. And just like how designed it all is to make it that way for, you know, you know, whether it's a literal cage, whether they're actually tied to the chair or they just, they can't leave because they're being watched. Yeah. And so you have like, all of these things going on in this movie and you know there's only just like a slip of hope that you can take away that message if it is even intended it's just you know me and like people who've read books trying to like decipher and make sense of what they're seeing but being like yeah just disappointed in the the you know, Pedro's math, I guess. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the math is great. And, you know, I still, like, had to sit down and think about this movie. And I, like, I had to take a nap. I had to, like, sit there and just let myself, let it happen. Out, you know, That's like, so funny because there was a moment, over. like, I was like, there's, like, 25 minutes until the podcast starts. I wonder if I could, I wonder if I could yeah, dissociate was, for a few minutes. Yeah, yeah no, I was, yeah, I was I, technically, like, supposed to teach. I have a Zoom class and Brett taught it for me because I was like, you know, Aww. I can't look at my, you know, my wonderful, like, I can't sit here with this, this thing that I just watched and then like, look at my wonderful, you know, hopeful trans students and not just like burst into tears. <laughs> being I like, know. I love you. Don't let this happen. On, on the front of like, what what is intended in it and what isn't and everything i think it is worth noting that amadovar is gay and you know is did explicitly call this and market this as a horror movie not as a you know drama not as any any of the other i mean he's done several drama comedy things you know was very explicit about the fact that this was a horror movie and you know as a he's he's he, according to him, was bi until he turned 34 and now he's just gay, you know, and then, sure. Yeah, he's um, figuring it out, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, we all are. 
you know, like, yeah, which, you, know, was, you know, let's check in in well another before, few years before this movie, you know, would have been that, that switch over at 34. But like, yeah, I think like, oh, that so much of the intention is is explicitly there. And I wonder how much I mean, I'm I'm not going to go read Tarantula, but like, no, how much more of that is sort of spelled out or if it is spelled out in the book. Yeah, um, I'm not seeing like I was doing a lot of research about Tarantula and I didn't really see much about yeah. that because the the author is described to be a quote unquote crime novel writer. This is something completely this is not when I when I watch this, I do not think that like a crime novel, you know, like this isn't some Silence of the Lambs shit. This is, you know. Yeah, it shows you what people how people receive the the content of the yeah. story like you know look like the, a lot of the critical responses to the movie sort of frame it as a melodrama or as like more of like a thriller and like even some weird off-base men have called it an erotic thriller like it's really clear that they're like they don't maybe even see it the way it was intended you know they're not seeing it as straight horror and it's like where where else would it had to have gone for you to really use the h word in your review i don't you know what i mean absolutely yeah. it's just like much more it's not much more a horror. neurotic thriller than an erotic thriller yeah like, yeah i just want to remind cishet dudes out there that if there's a titty doesn't mean that it's erotic. Yay! I just <laughs> tap the sign one more time. It's if there's a titty a bit visible, it doesn't mean it's erotic. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to get off. My so I was writing notes for this, and I stopped right after the the second rape scene, and I just wrote. So many people do horrible things to get off. You just... know that's. That's not shaming those people who are too, too for whom getting off is a wonderful thing. But like, because I mean, like, as, as come I said, on, I've been asexual, and yeah, I've, I've, or I should say, I've identified myself on this podcast as asexual. But <laughs> like the fact that it is, you know, I, I think it does say something about how sex is seen by a lot of people, like yes. you know, how ingrained in toxic masculinity. The, the equation of power and sex as something that it is, is used to dominate rather than something that it is shared. And I think that right there is another element to this movie that I think is important in terms of its horror narrative. And, you know, I'll, there's a lot of people out there that would, you know, say something like that is sex shaming. No. And I think that that, or, you know, and like that's on the other side of like, is this an erotic thriller? Just because there's sex in it, I feel like for a lot of us, it's more horrifying because sex is weaponized. And yeah, what is so horrible about like because again, not a lot of not a lot of gore in this movie. There's some blood. The the actual murder scenes are very very like PG. Like it's a gunshot. And yeah. So like there's no yeah classic blood shots and like blood slowly coming out like yeah. that you know when when vera attempts slicing her throat content warning sorry at, and survives it's like that was also pretty graphic just but it was still also so dainty at the same time the the blood wasn't gratuitous there was no yeah. like kill bill fountains going on um yeah. 
And it yeah, wasn't yeah, not, yeah. like that wasn't knife to skin either. It was her, you know, and even like the a lot, even the the like I said, the scarring, mm-hmm. super grotesque. Yeah, we don't see the sort of horrifying immediate aftermath, you know, where things are really sticky and horrifying. We see the like smoothed over several months later version of the skin. And even that it's, you know, there's a little bit of gauze, low lighting, you know, there's the curtain and the way that we play with the natural light is still so minimal. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's also the question of if she had been told that this was an issue if she had been communicated with about her her state of being so she could actually like have time to deal with it you know that's another way that robert fucked up yeah uh, is basically hiding this fact because he was so intent on holding on to the idea that she was a beautiful wife and this is his beautiful house and where does that highway go to right i think like saying on the like fucked up things about Robert. I, I think it's talking about the way that mental health is portrayed in this. We do like get his daughter's mental illness explicitly as a bad thing that's happening to him throughout most of the story. Like yes. doesn't deal with what the she's women my women are for. not normal. Yeah. 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 And that's that's I think it has some moments, especially where she's like talking about the the drugs that she's on, you know, where you're like, oh, it's kind of dealing with with mental illness in like a normal way, but then like the the way in which it tips its hand from there is is less. So yeah, um, there's not. It's it's about mental illness, but uh, you know, but not enough that we would ever see anybody really heal or get any kind of have their own arc that replicated (laughs) what what you know dealing with that trauma would look like it's all shorthand and you know and she died and you also did mention that there is exactly as far as i can tell one black woman with a speaking part in this movie no no black men no other non-white folks yeah think of yeah and she is uh explicitly an entertainer a singer she is exactly she has an incredible voice. Yeah, but... she does an incredible job. I think it's the, the expression and the passion with which she sings is so much greater than what anybody is feeling at the actual wedding. She's trying to fill this room with emotion. And it's funny because like like you said, she's the only Black person who speaks and it's singing and it's in a performing context, It's a, which means the power is not really there. The visibility yeah. is high and the power is very low. But she's also like the lyrics of the song from what I could pick up. It was there was, was just like sort of romantic ballads with some heartache and pain that she needed to convey. And she's the only woman who really gets to do that freely. And it's in this context of storytelling in a vacuum that's detached from everybody and is really for entertainment. It's it's like, yeah, it, it, it was kind of interesting. I don't know what to do with that, but it's an observation. <laughs> Well, the, yeah. the, the band, you know, the, there was a lot of beautiful camera work around the band and the the singers and how they were depicted. However, it did echo to me the same way that you get these, you know, 1940s dramas where you have a black band. And, you know, the only way that people of color can be in this in setting is as entertainers. 
Yeah. Um, Entertaining in a gig anonymously. Yeah. You know, these aren't credited people. This isn't supposed to be a concert. You know, this is a wedding. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, it's, it's a very clear sort of, just sort of a, a fun statement on just the way blackness operates in Spain is allowed to operate in Spain. And as someone who is half Moroccan, I'm pretty familiar with how Spaniards act and they're not great. (laughs) No, I mean, there's, there is certainly a, a sense of exhibition going on here. Like these, these quaint ethnic performers that we have, you know, and that also is in the cinematography, unfortunately, like, yes, yes, but, that's a little fetishy if I really want to get in there and so fetishy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so fetishy. There's and- yeah, like it's kind of weird. The as we go on and see like the the way we zoom into her face, the singer's face just gets weirder and weirder. Yeah. And the angle's yeah. really high, and then it's really low, and it's like the lips are lipping, but what does he think about that? I, you know, I'm just yeah. so confused emotionally, feeling kind of a little queasy yes. the way you feel when you're in a room surrounded by white people and they all expect you to do the trick and it's, it's another and then one of shuffle those, off. Like, yeah, because there's so little time spent with her. Like, it's it's another one of those. Does does Amadova realize what he's doing? Like he's mm-hmm. he's put her performing right. at this wedding. You know, this is not a concert. This is like her and her band playing some rich lady's wedding. Yeah. You know, and that's why do why does this get the the like MTV unplugged (laughs) treatment (laughs) all of a sudden in the middle of what's like about to be a horrifying incident. It's just like I and I I am so familiar with how like the a white storyteller will show that and be like, but isn't it beautiful? You know, and yeah, it's absolutely fetishy. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to autonomy and power again, right? Yeah. And we want we want to have these dollies that we can control and can't speak for ourselves. And whether that means the way that that is imposed on white women, where mm-hmm. they need to look beautiful, they need to have the most beautiful, soft, supple skin, but it also needs to be able to withstand a car accident, you know, that I refuse to save my mistress from. Like, well, oh boy, like that was also real fucked. Yeah, it's uh, it's just it's very clear, and you could kind of see like, oh yeah, black, you know, all all the women are white and all the blacks are men. The classic, classic, yeah. 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 Uh, so, it, I mean, it's worth noting that singer's name was Buika, and she has apparently won all like tons of awards. She's got a. She uh, like a global superstar. I I've hope seen so. Is, I've seen okay. her before. Yeah. Concha Buika, she has, she is from Spain, but she's got a ton of like Latin Grammys and all sorts of other awards. She's also a poet. So, I think it's worth. Yeah. Uh, so, that's an even more too. interesting to use someone so. To use someone who is like already so lauded and successful in what they do in such a minor sort of set dressing role, but then shooting it like it's important, like it's a load bearing story moment. And it's all. Yeah, it's like, what what the fuck were we planning here? I do wonder yeah. if they're just like friends, like maybe Moldova or like just. And he just decided other. to get a little indulgent with it and didn't realize how it looked in the end. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's it's just in that movie. Like it's such it's such whiplash. 
in that movie because we're yeah it's, right between it's the just, rape scenes it's like yeah. exactly it's horrifying that the, the, it's like she gets to sort of belt these notes and meanwhile you know a teen is screaming and being muffled and you know and there's all this other wild goofy sex act <laughs> shit happening in the garden that is of varying levels of consent clearly uh, um no, it's no. Oof. You know, in, a, in another movie, we would have like, you know, it could be some sort of much ado about nothing, silly bacchanal. And yeah, there's like Itumama Tambien like... is going on in like the next, the next part of the yeah. garden over. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, but it's, we all know because we're watching this movie that it's all, it's not even wide, eyes wide shut. It's like beyond eyes wide shut. It's like, you know, like it's bad. It's bad. It's very bad. It's what, very bad. One thing that this movie very clearly, has on its mind though and, and knows what it wants to say about his class i would say because it's mm-hmm. like yeah the setting is very intentional of this like servant who you know has had to bear her her boss's son and then treat him as the boss not you know is not telling him anything about where he comes from or what she's been through mm-hmm. and is continuing continuing to just bear the weight of like another awful man as she has been like brought back after having been i guess dismissed for several years because he just didn't didn't feel like he needed her around anymore after his wife died i guess but yeah, yeah it's yeah it, it i omado definitely knows what he wants to say about class in there and I, I feel like that is nice and, and stuck right in there yeah yeah and that's like a that classic one. thing with white with white men it, it <laughs> they can like kind of talk really concisely about class but only from one dimension it's never intersectional and it's like you can't talk about class without talking about how that's used and how that's expressed in the other isms you know and it's like you always get robbed of a good analysis because someone just literally didn't see the whole the whole problem so their extrapolation of what how they see the problem and how they see people you know experiencing it is you know a little off does it, yeah. it doesn't quite sit right you know yeah context is important and you know as this this movie is so complicated that like even you know with a with a director who has gone through a lot more if this is directed by a woman or if this is directed by a trans someone who's experienced transition trans man or trans woman you know or, or non-binary person i think it would still be really difficult you know there's still probably would be blind spots because it's so like I, I think it comes from the source material the source material is already pretty flawed and you know because it feels like we are building on this statement that you know in order to punish uh, a rapist you turn them into a woman and rape them yeah and it's like but then the way you treat them is so unsi- like so like pretty similar to the way you were treating someone that you loved yeah a woman that you love that you end up slowly then suddenly making making those two people the same person and you know that's it's it's it says a lot about just the the consumptive desire from from men of feminine labor and energy and flesh and yet being so uncomfortable with the idea of having it for themselves that they're trying to change it in some way. But yeah, it's just, it's so gross. 
So yeah. gross, guys. And, and it, it's and funny Vicente, when you talk about it, it just sounds like the most fucked up episode of the Twilight Zone ever. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it is really. I mean, it reminded me a lot of the of the the surgery episode where, you know, where Man, the time I used to be a woman. Like really has Yeah. yeah. Uh, but and but the other thing is, and, and I think this is one of the big things that we're missing here, is that Vicente doesn't really have an arc. No. No. Yeah. He just goes from fucked up to being fucked up by somebody like mm-hmm. he sucks and then like this thing happens to him even the character arcs are are suffering under the binary yeah. <laughs> right like yeah. there's just no room for the actual experience of it for Vicente we don't really get much other yeah. than this like I need to get out and you know all that suppressed pain on her face and that's I mean, like, again, you know, that's the, that is, can be, it can be argued that it's implied within the horror, but it's not really addressed ever, you know? Yeah. Like, it's the script really- needed a, another couple layers of that's that like, kind of storytelling yeah. for how long it is, you know? Some, there's, yeah. it's not that deep, you know? They were clearly working towards the how reveal. To and like, once they get once you get to the reveal, it's like I don't really know what to do. Because yeah. like Yeah, they, now they what? like they're going through <laughs> almost like day by day for a while when like the surgeries are going on and everything. They're like, you're getting moment by moment a lot of the stuff. And then it's like, and that's when he brought in Maria, and, and now it's the present. It's like when? Like yeah. but there's very there's very little for how much time this movie spends just shooting vera thing stuff like very little concept of like what is going on in in her mind Um, yeah like if there was if one of the things that we saw her doing was slightly more specific to what was going on with her that wasn't just like her being like i'm staring at all of this information and you know aimlessly taking it in and regurgitating it and the only thing that i'm doing for myself is sexily doing yoga at the camera you know right and and you know that and just like trying to use the whole like eye pencil wall of counting and mantras and 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 nonsense you know like a sort of journal wall was like had the potential to be revealing but yeah. didn't reveal much no. I, you know that's like yeah i get the, the ways that, you know, she's trying to self-soothe and get to her breath so that she doesn't completely disintegrate. But, and we get the opium helps me forget. And it's like, but that, is that really what addiction is like? What, like non-consensual addiction? You, yeah. you come, you, when you come to, you're angry, even though you have these withdrawals and, you know, there's all of this stuff that you just don't see. In yeah. in the way Vera's being punished and tortured, that actually would better support his argument if he, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Well, and and there's amongst her wall writings, she says something about how she needs to just breathe, and she mm-hmm. breathes, and I live, and I breathe, and that was to me that felt like an echo of what Robert said about her vagina saying mm-hmm. this is the most important organ this organ you, you, depend you need on to breathe organ. through it yeah yeah you need to you need to treat this treat this orifice like it is what you breathe through essentially 
Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's nothing more important about you than this orifice, which and yeah, like and I, you mentioned that earlier. We were they were talking about the reductiveness of that and like the the misogyny going on there. And the fact that she echoes that the way that she does doesn't really feel indicative of anything to me that is like processing other than just repeating what he said. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so, I agree. You know, I think like if she said something like, I'm becoming this, I mm-hmm. this is I will accept this or I will do this thing, you know, or like all we get is random phrases, dates and like interpretive artwork like etsy art of like women with houses for heads which don't give yeah love it. it lacks like, there's just yeah it lacks the interiority you need in order for us to feel anything deep enough for us to you really feel the pinch of horror and you know that could be part of the reason why a lot of critics at the time sort of used the word melodrama yeah i think it serves Unfortunately, I feel like a lot of the first half of the movie is built to serve the mystery and the twist rather yes. than the characters and at the expense of the characters because you get a lot Very of like, true. You get a lot of stuff with Vera. Like I said, she is on camera a lot in the first half of the movie, but they are so dedicated to not letting you know what's going on until it's time for the twist that like you don't really get a feeling for who Vera is other than pretty you know she's mm-hmm. a lot of very zoomed in images of her her face and her silhouette and things like that it's yeah it's a lot i i mean i guess that leads a lot into the our sort of big question here which is i feel like a really tough one for this but like do you recommend people watch this movie no <laughs> <laughs> I don't I think society has moved past the need for this film. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that it would help anyone in their quest to consume media that helps them understand gender and sexual violence. I don't think it does enough to feel like you went through those 2 hours for a good reason. You know? Yeah especially if you're in the alphabet mafia you you know if you are already weary of all the shit you know the trans misogyny that's in media already you probably don't need this but if you're a weirdo who's super into body horror who's into maybe plastic surgery stuff if you are interested in in questions of you know what what you know male sexual punishment techniques look like i don't know like maybe there's some content in there that you can kind of turn into something useful but i don't i don't recommend it i do not recommend it yeah at that point i would just say watch dead ringers instead like right yeah watch a ryan murphy thing you know what i mean like we have enough white queer (laughs) making content about gender that's like half baked and you know pretty but ultimately kind of useless for the people it's supposed to be i don't know sympathizing with i don't even know if you can use that word i i would say and and this is going to be sort of late in my recommendations to some extent as well is like there are other 
Omadovar movies that I would recommend people watch first. They're not horror movies in the way that that part, but there are other like there. He has made lots of really good movies. And I would say start with those. And if you really like his style, then eventually work your way to this movie. Otherwise, yeah, that's a good point. If you're a completionist, you know, on your on the end, near the end, after you've seen all the best ones. The feeling that this movie evokes the the most to me is like watching the crying game in the last few years. Thank where like, you. Where it's yes. like it was well intentioned at the time. Like the crying game definitely is like it it's like comes back around. It's actually all okay that yeah you know, she has yeah. a penis. It's cool, man. Yeah. And, yeah. It's just the what the good intentions are fueled by a false premise. So yeah. it's like the intentions are null, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's got, I mean, that is again like Neo Jordan is a, a writer and a filmmaker I really like, but it's a different time. Yeah, <laughs> like, this ain't he, it, Chief, you know. He, <laughs> at the time he was doing something really revolutionary, but is not particularly like good by the, the standards of you know what what we would like to see in, in trans representation and stuff like uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's not like it's not exactly Ventura, at least, but be know, like Eddie Murphy, you know, be like someone who goes, you know what? That shit. Like, I realize how much people love this, these specials, but the shit, a lot of the shit I said was so homophobic and transphobic and horrifying. I won't watch it again. And, yeah. you know, I don't blame you for not, you know, watching it either is like kind of what he said to to fans like a year or two ago. I can't, I can't oh, remember. I it's that. been yeah. And and so like, you know, and he's always been someone who's been rich just long enough that you don't really know what's going on in his daily life at any given <laughs> moment. It's very he's very well protected, but it's very, you know, especially after he made the Dolomite film for Netflix, you you start realizing, oh, OK, he is he's entering a period of his life where he's coming to terms with his queerness. And, you know, and and I love when artists do that. (laughs) I don't know what the fuck I was on, you know, when I make that, but I can I kind of understand how I was wrong now. And, you know, I hope you'll support me making things that aren't like that. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's important. Like, I mean, I don't understand why more people just can't be like, oh, I'm sorry. I fucked up. Um, yeah, I see like what that, you mean. I'm listening. I was to doing you. the best I could with the information I had at the time. Yeah, turns out I was fucked up. Well, yeah, <laughs> turns out I had bad info. I I got yeah. that info from the barber shop, and it's, you know it wasn't good. We're all gonna have blind spots no matter what. Like it, it's just a thing that happens, and that's where you really just have to listen and not punish. Like, I mean, you, you don't have to put up with shit. But I was going to say, like, what, if I recommended this movie, it would be something more close to punishment uh, than anything. But <laughs> as, as this movie shows us, it's not like the punishment isn't effective. It's the punishment loses all meaning if it's not trying like. If yeah. No connection between it and the the crime, you know. Exactly. Um, and, and And that's also like kind of the thing the question that comes up for me is like well what what is punishment punishment is designed to support a false condition right 
And yeah. it's like, we, what is a crime? And in our society, the things that are currently crimes are inhumane for the most part. So it's like the, in the, a lot of these laws are made by men and they can kind of slip and slide in and out of culpability because they also get to adjudicate how those laws are enforced. So, yeah, it's just like there's just a lot of like abdicating of responsibility there, I think, of just like acknowledging how much power is being put on these women. If there was just a little bit more storytelling, like you guys said, the emotional arcs just aren't supporting what he's trying to say. And it's because you can't justify punishment. You can never justify sexual violence. You can never justify punishment, corporal punishment for any reason. There's always, there's always going to be a bunch of horrible unintended side effects of doing that. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's always going to be a disconnect. It's not how you get someone to understand what they've done wrong. And that's the thing is that if I were to recommend this movie, it would be as like, as part of an essay. Mm -hmm. It's a part of a syllabus where we're talking about some real fucked up murky shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's talking about like, okay, so if you don't notice, this is important. And, you know, when you have when you need somebody to point to it, I don't know if that's sometimes it's going to be a good reference point (laughs) just to illustrate what certain horrors look like. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you don't, you shouldn't like if the movie is about that, you shouldn't need someone to make a PowerPoint presentation about how it's about that, you know, to to convince anyone ever to watch it. So, yeah, yeah that's that's how I would recommend this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, very, very rare test the scenarios. Uh, yeah. As part of maybe some curriculum somewhere, you know, where people have to discuss what's you know basically if you want to do a podcast like this one and talk more about the things we did talk about watch it yeah exactly um, you you got to be living life on hard mode already and if that's how if that, <laughs> you know if you're like us men great yeah, yeah. Said, it's for fun what do you do you all have anything you would recommend for people coming off of this or, or anything that you just generally have enjoyed that you want to recommend i the first thing that came to mind for some reason is megan watch the, <laughs> the it's so funny and it's like that's a movie where it's like for horror fans some horror people didn't think it was horror enough but for me it was Love and it. it's funny as hell and has something to say about femininity consumerism friendship even mother-daughter relationships there's a lot going on under the surface of something that's so superficially already so funny and cartoonish uh, on the screen. So big, big yes to that. I don't watch a film by a trans person. Just yeah. Let's yeah, please. Yeah. Um, For, for recommendations, I had all of these, these notes that are just showed me how many goddamn people have made movies about like, what if a dude made a woman? Oh yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, for good or ill. So the you don't you can fall on one. Like just there's another one out there if you want something to compare this to. I'm sure you'll you'll trip and fall on one. What I will recommend then is there is a podcast that I have been really enjoying lately, and it's called Someplace Underneath. It's primarily about true crime affecting missing women and the the treatment of women. It's it's sort of like 
a little bit more focused and a little bit more research-based My Favorite Murder. And it's actually part of the last podcast on the left network. So, you know, Oh, cool. Yeah. So one of the hosts is Natalie Jean, who is, she's a stunt woman. She's been in Hollywood and stuff, but she's also Henry Zabrowski's partner, who is the, one of the, like the big, uh, you know, on-screen last podcast people. And, and her, she and Amber Nelson discuss a lot of systemic abuse and missing women and they do a lot uh to to try to to deep dive on these issues of women who are missing or victims of abuse with with some very like visceral commentary and very you know very yes the same way that my favorite murder or like other true crime shows can kind of present something in a way that is true but also a little bit more palatable than you know going on documenting reality or some shit like that you know so and and people that you can relate to so as opposed to you know the true crime i can't stand true crime like tv documentaries just for instance so it's it's nice to like hear about it from someone who is who understands the the gravity of the situation but it's a lot less like it's not as fun as something like my favorite murder but it still is a is a good listen so you know and they also give i like that yeah, they give content warnings at the top of every episode, too. So that's something that's different. really good. That's what yeah. I've been missing. Like, I haven't really been able to get into true crime podcasts for that reason. And because it just sort of plays the ball where it lays with how we talk about victims already. And it's yeah. always so focused on white women. So it's like there is kind of a sort of jocularity to it that, like, turns me off. But when folks really kind of put some thought into like, okay, like, this is what we're going to talk about. And, you know, having some respect, you know, for, for, you know, the, 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 the victims and acknowledging the sort of culture of exploiting women beyond the grave, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then this is, this is, I mean, there's still some jocularity to it, but it's, it is a, a, a gallows you know right. acknowledgement of of just how severe the problem is but they do talk they talk about the highway of tears they talk about the missing women of peru they talk about trans women um, that's great yeah that sounds like my kind of true crime podcast then yeah. <laughs> so it's someplace underneath and neath is spelled n-e-i-t-h so check that out you know and my favorite murder also has some you know it, it's very like victim supportive and and you know or i should say survivor supportive and also they they've done a lot to to promote like women's mental health and things like that but i i find the the someplace underneath to be sort of a, a underrated one I, th- I think yes for me i mentioned other other pedro amadovar movies i would definitely recommend all about my mother that's another marissa paredes joint she's great it's a really good movie that's that's one of his ones that's actually one oscars and golden globes and all that stuff so definitely all about my mother also talk to her is another very good one it's another one of those like here's the premise of the film but also there's a twist but <laughs> the twist is not you know the same as, as as what we're getting here so definitely both those two are worth checking out he has a, a pretty hill, huge filmography he makes a lot of movies he writes almost all of the stuff that he does either him or him and his brother and then, like, they even produce some of their stuff. One of the things I really love about Omadovar's movies is is everything is very, like, 
things feel lived in to me. I think this movie is a little bit of an exception because everything is supposed to be sort of like clean in the way that it's presented, but it has interesting worlds in the way that some of these things are put together. The other thing for me is I've been playing, I guess, sort of nonstop recently, Death Stranding on my PS5, which is the weirdest fucking game. It's so strange. If you haven't played Death Stranding, it is a a game in which you play Norman Reedus as the main character, and there are several other actors and actresses you'll mention. I ran into Conan O'Brien in the Wasteland the other day. It's weird. Well, that's great. Have they been adding the DLC? He's he's he is named the wandering MC in the in the game, but he shows up at one point wearing a, a seal hat a hat that looks like he's a seal uh, and then he gives you the hat and then it's very obviously Conan O'Brien after that <laughs> seal like the animal or that he's, like he's got a like it's a hat and it's a seal up here on the top and just okay like straps it's very the game is very strange I every time I've tried to describe it to somebody I'm just like it's a post-apocalyptic game where basically you, pay, you play a mailman in this world that's full of like ghosts so people don't go outside because there's these horrible ghosts and if they attack people they you know destroy entire cities and stuff and there's terrorists and there's guys that run around trying to steal your package and there's <laughs> rain that makes you old oh no falls. i think i had a dream like that yeah yeah where you know if the if the rain anything the rain touches gets old incredibly quickly including like when it starts raining, plants start growing and then wilting all around you as you're going through stuff. Like, it's an incredibly specific game. So, like, it's interesting to me how sort of little they care about combat in it. But it is really about transporting packages from one, like, enclosed city to another. So there's, like, a lot of work put into different ways that you can transport packages and a lot of the physics and stuff. And it is a horror game and it's a drama and it's it's just incredibly weird so yeah worth checking out if you're into again weird horror stuff as as we are yeah it's called death stranding i think it's only on ps5 maybe ps4 as well but it's a real weird one well it's i guess it's time for us to wrap up here amanda would you like to let people know where they can find you and find out more about what you're up to and what are you up to right now yeah, you know, I just I'm living that 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 work from home remote life. So I'm I'm a homebody. I got transitions lenses. You know, I don't go outside, but I'm editing. And yeah, you can find my website, Amanda Meadows card.co, or I also have a link tree. You can follow me on the app formerly known as Twitter. I still call it Twitter at Amandonium. I'm on Instagram at Megamander. And uh, yeah, you can get books that I've edited in stores now, including Knee Deep by Joe Flood, which is a really cool post-apocalyptic sort of eco thriller. And it all kind of centers on a, a teen girl who needs to needs to get some truth out. And and then the Orcs in Space series, all three volumes are all out. You get those two anywhere books are sold. And oh, I forgot to say, I don't know if you saw on social media, but today's my birthday. And I'm oh, really glad I got birthday. to spend it with you guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry you had to watch this movie for it, but... <laughs> it was a, but listen again living life on hard mode i i need 
I need I need a big hits to feel something. So I loved it. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad. If this movie doesn't make you feel something, then <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah, you're doing it wrong. A little itchy. <laughs> yeah, I was. I had like I think this movie gave me acid reflux. Honestly, I I I literally just sat in front of the TV until it turned itself off after watching it. So <laughs> I kind of did kinda too. Staying but... to the middle distance. I mean, a happy birthday. Thank you. Um, <laughs> next time, we, we would love to have you back. And also next time, please choose a movie or or tell us, like, you know, I don't know. Did you choose a movie this time? No, this was. Yeah, this was Jeremy. Well, well you I, know, I it gave, was there I were a few options, a but they were filling out. They were filling out yeah. fast. And this is the one we landed on. And okay. yeah, what a, what a wild initiation. I'm looking forward to the next time. I promise next time it'll be some animation. If, Ooh, if, that sounds great. I love yeah. that. I'll we'll watch like a- a- anime. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, you just say less. You already had me. <laughs> so much. There's so much anime that I can't watch memories. There we go. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, great. Emily, you <laughs> want to know people let people know where they can find you? I also have a website, megamoth.net. It's essentially a card, but has all of the information you can find me. I'm also megamoth at Blue Sky, then mega underscore moth on Instagram and various other places. So check me out, megamoth. That is, that's, oh, and on Patreon, of course. Oh yeah. Gotta get on that Patreon. Yeah. So I am still at jrom58 on Instagram and Twitter on my website is jeremywhitley.com and so is my my Tumblr is jeremywhitley.tumblr.com and my blue sky is now Jeremy Whitley because I got in quick enough to get it before all the other Jeremy Whitleys showed up. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Jeremy Whitleys. Yeah, F those dudes. They're all real weird. The, the only normal Jeremy Whitley. <laughs> the closest thing they've got. It's like me and there's a hedge fund manager in Britain. All the other ones are wild, feral. Oh, and uh, yeah, you can get my graphic novel with Brian to go the Dog Knight at stores right now. The second volume of School for Extraterrestrial Girls, which I did with Jamie Noguchi, is coming out in November. And uh, then we got just recently announced the Cold Ever After from Titan, which I did with Megan Wong, is coming out in February. So you can pre-order that one now as well. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we will have Ben back here with us next time where we're doing some some more spanish language features so uh until next time stay horrified <laughs>